G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Hello everyone, welcome to Footyology Final Siren after a mini final of sorts last night at Marvel Stadium. Not a finals atmosphere, obviously, because no people there. We're getting used to that. But a massive result in the context of the top eight. Another big win to GWS. They have certainly hit a rich vein of form. 39-point winners over rather lacklustre and hapless Richmond who look sentenced now to miss out on the finals after winning three flags in the past four years, which begs the inevitable question, is an era over? We will discuss that tonight in full detail and take, I'm sure, plenty of your questions on that. What about GWS? Can they actually do some damage in September? Provided they get there, obviously, they've got to beat Carlton next week, but they're certainly going to be pretty unbackable favourites for that one, you'd think. Uh, all your questions, anything you want to put on the football agenda, um, firing your questions now on Twitter and Facebook. As I say, very good evening to my Footyology Final Siren co-host, Mark Fine. Well, it was a bit of a no contest, Fine, and uh, just about all over by half time. Yes, because of GWS's brilliance, that's to put not an overstating, I think, what was a brilliantly executed game plan and some beautifully executed football, especially in the first half. I think the second half was predominantly junk time, but we were treated to some great football in the first half by the Giants. So for me, a very significant evening, Rowan. It is the end of... An era. That's not saying that Richmond can't regroup next year, but we we know it's the end. When it, when a team's won three out of four premierships and doesn't make the finals, then that is certainly a sort of a halt in operations, isn't it? So we can say that. And for the Giants, I think we've got a a live one in the finals. A very interesting team. They don't they don't probably finish eighth if things play out as expected. I'd expect West Coast to finish eighth. And they therefore would probably play Brisbane. I mean, this is all assuming things go to plan, which hasn't happened this year. But I just think they're a live one. Not for, you know, look, they were great. They've got a functional forward line with Toby Green to come back into it. Taranto stepped up beautifully tonight, but that means they, they can have confidence in him going forward. I think the back line's going beautifully. They're really interesting, aren't they? I'll tell you one thing, and I want to ask you this and put it to our viewers. I saw a list of players that were out of the team tonight to come back in, and I really only see a spot for Phil Davis and for Toby Green and maybe Daniels, who is loved. I don't think Canilio and certainly not Finlayson are a cohesive part of that team or particularly wanted. Yep, no, it's a fair observation. We'll, uh, we'll certainly knuckle 
down on that one. Uh, we'll go through the details first. While you send your questions in, we're getting a few coming through already, so fire Good. away and we'll get through them all. But let's have a look first at the quarter-by-quarter quarter scores. And this definitely a win set up in a blistering opening turn by the Giants. Seven goals, three to the Tigers, 2-2. Two, two. And uh, we'll talk also about a couple of significant moments early in that first quarter, which certainly, uh, one of them certainly robbed the Tigers of some early momentum. And the other one cost them a pretty cheap goal. Um, so 7-3 to 2-2 two, two at quarter time. Another five to just two in the second quarter by the Giants, who led by 50 points at the halftime break, 12-5 to 4-3. And really, in retrospect, the second half, a bit of a training drill. Four goals to six goals to Richmond in that second half. And the final scores, the Giants, 16-10, 106-39-point victors over the Tigers, 10 7.67. Let's have a look at the goal kickers and best. For the victors, four goals to Tim Taranto, who took over the role usually played by the absent suspended Toby Green. Well, he made a pretty good fist of it. Four goals to him and really gave him a heap of spark up in that forward 50 early on. Three to Harry Himmelberg. Very lively performance from him. Two to Daniel Lloyd. Got a lovely uh, boot on him, Daniel Lloyd. Two to DeBoer. Singles to Hogan, Hopper, Perryman, Ward and Mumford, the big mummy, chipping in at the end there with a, a goal uh, snapped. Uh, well, in fresh air, really. Didn't have anyone around him. For the Tigers, pretty sorry tale. Two goals to Baker. Two to Lynch. Two to Shea Bolton. And singles to Edwards. Coleman Jones, Rewalt, and Morris Rioli Jr. The best, as voted by you, Finey, went with Josh Kelly. Uh, fantastic game by him, 32 disposals. He finished up with Taranto, those four goals, obviously critical. Nick Haynes, outstanding again in defence, as indeed he is most weeks those days. Callan Ward, Himmelberg, and Cumming, rounding out the Giants' best. And for the Tigers, Baker. Short, Vloston, Lynch, Cochin, and Daniel Rioli. Just uh, with the possessions, uh, 32 to Kelly, 26 to Hopper, 24 to Cumming, 22 to Callum Ward, 21 to Lockie Whitfield. And for the Tigers, 32 to Jaden Short, 31 disposals to Cochin, 23 to Baker, and 22 to Prestia. And Daniel Rioli, who's made at least uh, has made a pretty good fist of his move to defence. All right, Rowan, how many tackles to Kelly? I don't have that in front of me, Finey. Well, he got to he got to ten yeah. during the last quarter, so at least ten. Pretty good effort, isn't it, when you're a, a ball winner and a ball user like him to double up, you know, to to get that double figure tackle number. So very impressive. Yeah, well, cel 11 tackles. Yeah, yeah, pretty well, good. Celebrating that uh, eight-year contract, which will see him a giant for the rest of his footballing life. All right, let's rip through some questions. And first tonight is uh, well-known Richmond supporter, Trout from Woodend. Even Trout is conceding. He says, that's a wrap and our tired legs are knackered. A big break will help us as we take six picks 
under 36 in the draft. Might trade a couple of picks. Well, we'll talk about this in more detail a bit later, but uh, I think we probably have probably need to start talking about Richmond's depth now because I think one thing that hasn't happened this year, which did happen previous years, is those replacement players just haven't been able to fill the breach that uh, the absentees have left. And we saw in previous years, you know, Bolter came in and ended up becoming a permanent part of that side. Uh, Higgins before him, we've seen uh, the likes of Ross. Jake Arts came in, I think, initially to replace an injured player. All those guys were able to slot into a team that was winning and confident. It's been a different story this year. We've seen um, the likes of Mansell. He's struggled. We've seen a little bit of Ralph Smith. I think he's still very much feeling his way. Morris Crowley Jr. has only played a couple of games. Callum Coleman-Jones hasn't necessarily gone on with it. Maybe your child, I thought he might take a few more steps this year than he has. And I think generally... Garth yeah, Garth, yeah, no, that's a good one. I think he's struggled a bit in defence. So the quality of the replacements hasn't been the same as previous seasons, has it? No, it hasn't. Uh, they've also tried that young chap, Martin. Is it Will? I'm not quite sure his first name. Will Martin? The um, Obviously, Matthew Parker through the mid-season draft. No, it just hasn't resonated. And, and in the end, there's a, a critical mass, isn't there? And, and I guess the system works. When you're up for so long, you're not supposed to have the the quality replacements that Richmond have had, but they've done brilliantly over the last four years. Look, the backline rebuilds quickly because Bolter and Broad will be right next, next year, we assume. So the backline, you know, maybe there's some, I don't, I don't think Hawley's part of it necessarily anymore, but Daniel Rioli will be an able replacement. So you'll have Bolter, Broad, Floston, Rioli, um, Short, who's a brilliant rebounding backman, and maybe one of Asprey or Grimes, depending on how their body holds up. So the back line looks as good as it has even in the premiership years, certainly last year. So that, well, that's the <clears throat> cause of some optimism, I think. Yeah, uh, I mean, and look, a key, I think, to their demise this season, I mean, they've been scored against pretty easily relative to previous seasons. But when you think about the personnel we're missing, the core of that missing clutch of players are their first-choice defenders. Bolter, Broad, I know Hawley's probably on the way out, but he has been a key part of that defence. And Asbury tonight, a late withdrawal, and McIntosh. So there you go, uh, five premiership defenders missing from that lineup. So that's not to be underestimated. And the proof of the pudding there about their defence struggling at one stage this evening, the Giants had had 31 inside 50 entries for 19 scores. So going at something like, uh, you know, mid 60 something percent scores for inside 50s, which is a phenomenal rate. <clears throat> All right, let's keep going. David Haley says Trent Cotchin should ride off into the sunset and enjoy parenthood. Well, I, I probably would have agreed with that, David, but I reckon he was okay tonight. And I reckon the previous two weeks, he was pretty good. So I reckon on the basis of his late season form, I wouldn't be saying that now. What do you think, Finey? Uh, he'll play on next year. The, what we've been talking about and what the commentators were talking about was, the, you know, the shortened um, time off, the shortened pre-seasons, 
when you're in the finals, it extends the year out. And when you're a physical player like Coxon, who put his body on the line as captain through four finals campaigns, you'll be surprised how revitalised he looks at the start of next year. Now, that's not to say that his time's not coming, but we are talking about a pretty tired bloke at the end of a long campaign, remembering that Prestia hasn't been in the team much this year, Dustin Martin's been out for a month now, so he's really carried a, a heck of a load and not been, you know, he's been at the coalface. Yeah, sure, he's getting older, but you'll be surprised, footy fans, how revitalised he is, at least for the start of next season. And he'll be a, he'll be a player of some value next year. Don't worry about that. I think another thing too, and Trout pointed it out before, but um, I think another thing on reflection, you know, the lateness of the finish to last season. Yes, the grand, yes. Grand, grand final October the 24th, we started on time. So it was a particularly short preparation. Yeah. Um, and they'll get a longer, uh, presuming they miss out, I mean, they're still mathematically possible. Presuming they miss out, they'll have a longer finals preparation, uh, pre-season preparation than they've enjoyed for five years. So um, I'm certainly not prepared to say end of an era because I, I just think this might be a bit of a glitch. Um, having said that, I do have some reservations about the quality coming through. But as Trout says, plenty of picks at the draft table. So maybe they can bounce back pretty quickly. Um Julian Evans says, does this re remind people of 2019 GWS potentially messing up a lot of teams in the finals? Of course, GWS in 2019 knocked over the Bulldogs week one. Um, Who did they beat in week two? Uh, it's gone. Uh, they beat, or sorry, I might have that wrong. They beat the Swans yeah, in yeah. the elimination final. That's, then, that's right. Yeah, but who do they beat in the semi? They then beat, um, of course, Collingwood in the preliminary final by goal. Um, it's not coming to me. Someone send it through. Um, I Look, I'm as good as they've been the last few weeks. I still don't see them challenging the top four teams. Did they play like Port Adelaide or somebody? Or? Uh, One of the Adelaide? Uh, Brisbane. Oh, Brisbane. Oh, that's right. They beat Brisbane, Brisbane Gabba yeah. by a kick, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, I don't see them as being as capable of doing that this time around. I mean, I, I still, look, three wins from four. Maybe they have turned it around on a more permanent basis, but their story this year has been very up and down. Um, incidentally, just while we're talking about them, let's touch on what you were and talking about. And also, Rowan, they've been out of Sydney for how long now? I mean, it's a great effort, but it, it might tell in the next two or three weeks as well to be sort of, you know, out of your home state and routine and it is going well, but it can fall apart. I mean, Sydney looked tired last week. Uh, no, that's true. That's true. It's certainly uh, an extra dimension to the finals this year. Um, yeah. I was just going to say to your point you brought up before, the outs at the moment, um, it's still a very long list, but in terms of potential parts of that first-choice team, you're missing... Canelio, Daniels, Davis, uh, Green, uh, the, or two Greens, one obviously back yeah. next week. Um, the only other two I sort of mentioned there were, were Keefe and Sam Reid, who, uh, you know, line ball senior players. So, I mean, whilst, Buckley's out for the year. He would have been in, but he's out for the year, so I can't count. 
whilst the injury list is longish, um, there's probably only sort of uh, five walk-up starts there, isn't there? I guess that's a bit, it's a quarter of your lineup. Well, not for me because Cornelio's not in their best team. Yeah, what if he gets fit? I don't think they want him in their best team, Ro. Yeah, well, it's, uh, well, you know, we saw last he was year. In the, he was, you know, he was in the VFL for like three weeks. They could have brought him back if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, he got dropped even last year, didn't he? So yeah. uh, that would be quite sad if he wasn't able to be part of it because he's certainly been a, a real stalwart for them. Um, Dan Fancher, oh, sorry, Wild Panda says GWS, the new dark horse. It's Geelong or dogs to lose, but GWS might screw it up. Uh, I think you're a bit tough on Melbourne there, Wild Panda. I think mm. Melbourne's back in the ball game. Um, that was a particularly impressive win in Perth last Monday night, and I felt like the week before against Gold Coast, they really got their their mojo back, um, and they have also beaten both Geelong and the Western Bulldogs comfortably. So I wouldn't be discounting them, um, but I think it's those three teams to lose. Uh, all right, let's keep going. Dan Fancher says, the king is dead. The new king is still yet to step forward. True. Certainly, it's as even a premiership race at this stage as I can remember. I mean, I haven't looked at the premiership odds this week. I presume the Bulldogs probably favourite, followed by maybe Geelong and then Melbourne equal. But um, usually at this stage, there's at least sort of one, two at most clear favourites. And this year... There really isn't. It really is anyone's flag, isn't it, in those terms? Absolutely. Look, Port Adelaide, we've been saying now for probably two and a half months that they're not quite up to it. They only need one good game or play a team who has an off night. You know, it's not impossible at all for Port Adelaide. And we'll assume that the games are going to be played in the states of the teams that are supposed to host them. It's not impossible at all for Port Adelaide to come here and beat the top team, whoever it is, Melbourne, Bulldogs or Geelong. And then they straight away get a home preliminary final. I mean, it, that's, it is open. I don't, I don't believe they will win the grand final, but they're one good game away from almost be, being equal, fav, equal flag favourites. The, the problem with that, though, is that yeah, okay, one good game away from being equal favourites, but uh, yeah, as far as winning a premiership goes, you've got to turn in three really good performances in a row, and they have consistently been unable to beat the teams above them. True, that, and that's the... Uh, I'm not tipping them, I'm just saying that it's open. It's, it's hellishly open. Sydney, what, one bad game against St Kilda one week off, they, 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 they've got a real nice... Um, feel about them. Rowan, we haven't discussed the most important thing. Uh, what's that, Hound? Just before you do, I just want to give those flag odds. At the moment, uh, Geelong actually favourite at $3.75, Bulldogs paying $4, Melbourne four fifty, and quite a gap to the fourth favourite, which is Port Adelaide. Brisbane $9, Sydney 13 GWS 21 and West Coast 41 what beyond, price was Port Adelaide again? Uh, $8. $8, yeah. Beyond that top three, I feel like the best chance of the rest is probably Sydney. But we'll get a better gauge on that when we see how they perform this week because they did look very tired last week. All right, where are you going? 
your your wish has come true. What's that? And as I said, the Trojan horse that gave us the week off before the finals, oh. which was never right, we can use another Trojan horse to get rid of it and have a guess what's happening, Rowan. Well, what's all, like that? All intelligence the... says it's gone. Yeah, well, couldn't couldn't go too quickly, and it's taken the pandemic. It appears to do that, but uh, if you're not across this, it's not official. But um, very strong speculation that the AFL, understandably, uh, worried about what might happen with COVID. They don't want to have the luxury of that week off and just keep playing through. So uh, they, I, I'm told. Well, I read that they will ensure that the top four teams at least get seven day breaks. Uh, leading up to their first finals, which would give them some advantage. But more importantly, it would maximise the advantage of them winning their qualifying finals because their opponents um, in the preliminary finals will have played straight through. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty happy about that. I I think, too, and that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that surely would... um, strengthen the chances of a top four team uh, winning the flag. All of a sudden, the week off becomes desirous instead of... Or desirable. um, Instead of a poison chalice, because, as you've pointed out, it is no good for a team that is conditioned to play weekly to play once in 20-odd days. You know, it just... It's bad. It's bad. Harsh. I wish you hadn't said desirous there because immediately a split end song called Iris popped into my Iris head. Iris the Desirous. Uh, yeah, off the Corroboree album, which is a very good album too. All right, <laughs> let's keep reading through the comments. Robert Rice says, even though they were bagged for their performance in round 13, the Giants' draw against North Melbourne now looks like their golden ticket to play finals. Amazing how valuable a draw can be sometimes. Hey, Hutchie. Nice little drive-by for Craig Hutchison there is always throwing up the tiebreaker concept. Yeah, well, um, spot on, Robert. I mean, this is why... uh, I mean, that's not the main reason that I am a fan of draws. I'm a fan of draws because it is a result in the context of a 22-game season where you earn points for each game. And you're quite right. It's going to be a critical two points for them, basically booking them a finals berth. By the way, Fanny, you, you said... You think West Coast will finish eighth, and they look they may, but uh, surely the odds would be against them. I think if they, um, even if they beat Fremantle, I reckon they still need to beat Brisbane in the last game to get in because their percentage is pretty poor, and uh, that's provided, of course, say Essendon win their last two win games. Both. Yeah, and so, your last two games are against North Melbourne and. Essendon's last game's against Collingwood. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, well, Essendon would certainly start favourite in both those games. Yeah, no, no fair point, fair point. Uh, but but we'll I'm, I, was, I was more thinking that GWS won't finish eighth. No, no, I think that's right. I, I think the draw season finish in seventh. And I'd, uh, lo- I'd love it if Essendon made it because West Coast are a lame duck. They're, 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 this is not a team that really deserves a spot in the eight. When I say deserves it, whoever finishes there deserves it. But then they, they don't hold anywhere near the interest that an Essendon would. I'm not, I've got to be, you know, speaking as an Essendon supporter, I'm actually not that fast. I, I think it would be better 
It depends what happens, but I think it would be better for Essendon to miss out than to make it only to be smashed in an elimination final. And you'd, you'd think now... You've been smashed in a lot of elimination finals. Well, that's exactly my point. I like uh, it. Yeah, okay. but uh, Including your first two ever. Don't say you. It's unprofessional, right? I'm not Including Essendon's first club. two ever elimination yes, finals. Yes, I remember that. 72-73 against St Kilda at Waverley. I was there, don't worry. Um, the point I was going to make was whoever finishes eighth is probably more than likely to play Brisbane at uh, the Gabba in the elimination final. So mm-hmm. pretty tough uh, task for whoever that is. All right, let me go through some more yeah, questions. Uh, Darren Rockowin says, the Giants are the real bona fide side now uh, that we've all been waiting to see to come to fruition. Um WTS, everyone. What does WTS stand for? Sorry. They are very good, capable of beating anyone on their day. Uh, I think that's true. I just still doubt that they have enough of those days. uh, Granted that their last two have been great, but go back three weeks, their performance against Port Adelaide was pretty ordinary, you know. So can they win? If you're coming from the bottom half of the eight, it's sort of, it's not rocket science, but sometimes people get too obsessed with the week by week thing. To win a flag from the bottom half of the eight, you have to pull out three of your best performances of the year in succession. Can they do that? I doubt it. And they do have some legit issues. Hogan's, he's a crock. I've seen him play a few times. He starts like a healthy man and ends up, by the end of the game, he always looks like he's 53. Um, so they're going with Hogan, but I don't know. And, and they've got mm. ruck issues as well. I mean, I know Mufford was very good tonight, influential. Yeah, Leroy, sure Jay, Leroy got... Jones said you should have had him in the best, by the way. Well, I did have him in the best until about halfway through the third. Or I, I sort of kept a tally. I thought he was very influential and I wanted him in the best, but... They didn't play him. They preserved him in the second half a bit. So, well, look, there were a lot of good players. I mean, Hopper played a very good game. Um, no, their, midfield, their midfield's ticking over very nicely at the moment. Callum Ward, he's... Um, that's as good, good as he's looked for year, for ages, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, he's recent good form. Oh, he's played some good footy lately, and it's given him that... Uh, it's like their senior players have stepped up to the plate again. So we're now talking about that midfield as a group. You know, Kelly, um, Taranto, uh, Green, when he was in, Ward's a big part of that, Hopper. Um, so they've got a, a real solid core now. And I reckon when they were struggling, at certainly at the start of his season, it, it, it was left to almost individuals on occasions to carry the, um, carry the midfield on their backs. So you need to spread the load. I'll tell you what they do have, Rowan. Yeah. And a surprising amount of super boots. Boy. Uh, yeah, well, Daniel Lloyd certainly won. Who are you talking about? Perryman is an enormous kick. Yeah. How about Callan Ward when he's fit? He went yeah. back. He did out of 55 metres out. Yeah, I'll kick that. No problems. Um, I mean, they're just long. They're, they're, they've got some long shoes. Whitfield's a beautiful kick and can go long as well. Yeah. Hopper, Hopper can kick long. The ones that missed all hit the top of the post. Yeah, they dobbed. A, they certainly dobbed a few from outside fifty tonight. Um, Julian Evans says, by my calculations, it's more likely 
that Swans will play GWS and Lions play West Coast Arrestment. The only variation is if both the Saints and Demons beat the Cats. That won't be happening. St Kilda will not beat Geelong this week. I like your I like your absolute definitive certain certainty well, about that. They won't. Why not? Because uh, Geelong. I, I tip Geelong, but that's a big out for Geelong, Tom Stewart. I'll tell you what. With, I mean, that's a big out for them. Mm. You know how St Kilda can win that game, by the way. And this is not impossible. If Cameron lasts a quarter. Yeah. They're already without Rowan. I'm saying, oh, look, I tipped a lot. I think it's a longer win. Don't get me wrong. But if Cameron, if Cameron's, you know, went down again, that'd be tough things a lot. All right, we've got people. Uh, Simon Morris is asking, do you have plenty of charge on your phone tonight, Finey? 89% to start off with and the charge are nearby. So if it's a long show, I'm right. And I think it could be long because the device for the tipping is unusual. Well, I can assure you it won't be overly long because at a certain point, I'm just walking off the set. And You uh, have not done that yet. You get sucked in like everybody else does with the tipping because it's fun. Yeah. Mm, Sorry, no. Rowan. I'm, I think you enjoy it, part of you. Oh, to a point. Um, <laughs> Look at you, you commotion. All right, Trout again says, why is it this year? Oh, no, let's not go here again. Why is it this year TV commentators are as confused about umpire calls and laughing on air more than ever before? It's getting worse every week, both ways. Well, laughing on air more because their producers tell them to ham up the entertainment factor and yep. uh, some, some very misguided person got in their ear and told these guys that they were funny and entertaining, that everyone was riveted to everything they said because they played a couple of hundred games to Collingwood back in another century. Um, I'd like to steer them uh, clear on that one myself. But, yeah, look, I've got to say, as you know, Fanny, I'm not a serial umpire basher, but I have had more issues with umpiring this year, but predominantly about the one thing, just their failure to pay holding the ball nearly quickly enough. And I think I that's... Thought, I thought, yeah, because I thought the umpiring was great tonight except those first two decisions. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, we should talk about that. I mean, look, Richmond got smashed. But, gee, they, you know, any sort of chance of building some momentum, I mean, that was a fantastic kick at goal from Quite Jack Rewald. Oh, beautiful. Uh, not only went through, but just about post high. And um, who gave away that one? Dylan Grimes, wasn't it? Was it Grimes or Lynch? I'm just... Lynch. Uh, are you sure? It was, up the, it was up the full forward line. Yeah, it was Lynch. Oh, yeah, Lynch sorry, Grimes. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Now, Grimes gave away the goal to Perry Himmelberg. So, two. Should, should that free kick have been given there or where Rewalt took the kick? That doesn't make sense to me. If somebody's having a kick from the back line, then why not pull the guy, the full forward's shirt in the forward line and move the ball 100 metres the other way? It should have been where yeah. Rewalt took the kick from. I don't know if that's been rewritten in the last years. I, I thought it was now like 50 or where the infringement was, which, whichever was the greatest penalty. You know, I'm saying it's 50 if it went Richmond's way, but going the other way, shouldn't it be where the kick was taken from? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but what, what, if the, what if Richmond had a free kick in their full back line, right? Let's just say Grimes took a mark. On the full on the full back line, right? Yeah. 
and Lynx did the same thing to Sam Taylor. Would you take the ball 180 metres down the other end of the ground and give it to GWS deep in their defence? Of course not. No, so you, you pay the 50. It's whatever's the greatest advantage to you, the team earning the free kick. No, I'm saying if you're the defensive team, it should be where the ball was kicked from. Anyhow, yeah, I'll tell no. you as an umpire, that's right. All right. It's not, well, it's not 50. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Um, while Panda's speculating that Cornelio goes to Fremantle next year and Green the next captain. Yeah. Um, Pretty convinced Green will be the next captain. Um, yep. While Panda again, I won't trust Melbourne until I see them win their third premiership. Untrustworthy still. Gee, you're older than us, while Panda. <laughs> um, yeah, of cool. course, 64 and uh, one before that would have been 60. 60. Yeah, okay. Well, so while Panda, we know that you're at least uh, 60 years old. Happy birthday. <laughs> if it was your birthday. <laughs> Digby Norton says, hey, guys, just wondering why it is that this year the stand rule has become so dominant. I noticed Richmond pinged several occasions for the rule. Were they tonight? I didn't see a 50 page. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I think it's become, look, to be honest, I well, think The stand rule only started this year. You've got your interruptions going this uh, tonight. Well, Robert, well. explain why the stand rule is more this year because it only started this year. No, I didn't finish the sentence that would have uh, you. Let me start again. Oh. I think the stand rule has become less of a consideration the longer this season has gone. I think we're seeing fewer penalties applied. And I think the advantage that it offered attacking teams early in the season has been neutralised as sides have got more used to organising their defence to cope with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... But, it, um, but I'm just saying it didn't exist in previous years because it's part of a rule that was only brought in this year that you can't move at all off the mark from a free kick or mark until the umpire calls play on. Yeah, correct, correct. Uh, Robert Fidel says, is Rowan still convinced Richmond will win the flag? I am, Robert. <laughs> I am. I think they're going... <laughs> no, no, I'm off. I did officially jump off the bandwagon several weeks ago. I did still think they'd make finals, um, which pretty hard to see that now. So someone, if they care to, can uh, argue the mathematical case how they can. But uh, I think uh, Essendon, and Essendon to lose both games. I think that's ridiculous. Um, no, they're still yeah they do. They need Essendon to lose both games. Yeah, correct because Essendon's percentage is greater. So yeah, no, they're not going to make it. Um, Dimitri Burundanis says Giants, uh, the Giants are the sort of team who would lose next week after all their good work. I must admit, I feel like that a, a bit about them this year. Um, but you know, that's, that's not discounting the possibility that they've, they've turned that corner now. I mean, it's come pretty late in the season, but as someone pointed out earlier, that's another similarity to 2019. I mean, remember, with them, they got absolute. Didn't they get absolutely smashed by the doggies um, a couple of weeks? No, hang Before on. Have I, got, have I got my years out? They got smashed by the doggies one week and then beat them. Oh, that might have been two thousand eighteen, actually. No, two thousand and nineteen. They had terrible form going into the finals. Yeah, no, that's Wasn't right. It? They they only they went goalless 
for a half in two successive games. The yeah. game against Hawthorne where it snowed, and then I think against the Bulldogs. Yeah, you're right. And that was the they might have had one game before the finals where they sort of turned things around and then um, zipped through the the finals campaign and went all the way to the uh, the big one. Yeah. Uh, Darren, again, says Port are the biggest enigma in the finals race. I think we're underestimating how good they actually are. Now, I beg to differ on that one, Darren, because I think the stats really show they've actually been very consistent in terms of playing to their level. That is, they have now won. It's 19 consecutive games they've won against bottom eight teams, um, and they've consistently failed to put away this year the sides above them or even around them on the ladder. Look, they did beat Richmond only by a kick, but that's been proven this year to be no great shakes. They beat Sydney at home by 10 points in a game that could have gone either way, but they lost to Melbourne. They lost comfortably to the Bulldogs and they lost comfortably to Geelong. And they lost comfortably to Brisbane too, I think up in Brisbane. So... Yeah, I am struggling to see them as a legitimate challenger, but, um, you know, we've still got one home and away round left. Uh, Suds McDuff says the front on contact rule has become a bit ridiculous. It's now a netball level rule interpretation. I don't feel like it's changed at all. I mean, I, I think, you know, we've certainly in the over the last few years gone back to that, not gone back to, we've, it's certainly been more cut and dried, that basically if you're running at the man who's staying, standing there camped under a ball and you make any sort of contact with him, you're going to get penalised. Tonight, I thought whatever you feel the interpretation is, it was very clear tonight. Anybody sort of established on the ground where somebody came in to tackle them, got the head, got a free kick for head high, and anybody camped under the ball basically, you know, sort of got the free kick unless the ball was clearly won, which was that beautiful piece of play by Himmelberg to Taranto in that second quarter. Wasn't that a great, you know, Mansell was sort of under the ball, but the two, you know, bigger players, Himmelberg went for Mansell on the ball and tapped it back to Taranto. Beautiful teamwork. A uh, few comments about the draw. I think people agreeing with us. It's a valid result and the uh, hysteria every time there is one is, is boring. Um, I just want to throw this one. Marco Sullivan, a, a uh, well-known GWS supporter. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Um, says, I still think this season for the Giants is more exciting in terms of the possibilities in 2022. Oh, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I mean, those lesser lights, if you like, in the team really have come into their own this year. I mean, who are we talking about there? We're talking about Cumming, uh, Buckley till he got injured. Um, Iden, Tom Iden, Green. Yeah, Iden's been great. Who was the next one you mentioned? Tom Green. Yeah, Tom Green's exciting. Um, even some of the, the more recent... Well, even the more... Uh, Flynn, the, the more yeah. recent introductions. Are, like, I, I've been impressed with Broom. You know, I think he's... Oh, yeah. He's pretty impressive. So... Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I can I can understand that, Mark, and and I guess that'll be Save one. Xavier O'Halloran, I thought was great. Yeah. Tonight. Yeah. No, he's he's definitely a you know a week in week out performer for them. I, I guess one of the interesting things for them next year and beyond will be 
as those guys will be developing further, you know, you're probably going to see quite a few fall out at the top end, aren't you? Like we talked about Cornelio. You'd be surprised if Phil Davis went on after this year, would you? Oh, I probably would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sam, Sam Reid has been a great servant. But... Yeah, Mummy. Do we think Mummy's going to go on with well, it? Well, that mentoring role, he's there to turn Briggs into Mummy, and they do so well when he plays. Why not leave him on the list? I'd get rid of Proust before I got rid of him. And DeBoer showed what value he is tonight. He's, he's a valuable player and, and definitely going to be playing on for a couple of years. Oh, and, and he's also a, a great sort of... Run hard, with. Well, a great hard tag possibility, yep. isn't he, if they decide they really need to clamp down on a... Um, well, who would they be likely to play in the first week of the finals if they finish seventh? Uh, Sydney or Brisbane, it'd be, wouldn't Brisbane, it? yeah. So he, he could get he could easily get a job on... Neil. A, yeah, like Lockie Neil or maybe... I was sort of thinking, could could he play on a... Uh, uh, no, he's not a defender, really. Somebody to play on McCarthy would be handy. No, um, you'd, put, you'd put him on. You'd put him on your first needle. choice yeah, midfielder, yeah. and then Sydney, yeah. Sydney, uh, it'd probably be Luke Parker. Parker. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell you what. Is it fair to say that Hogan was not um, pleased or or very team oriented when De Boer played on? and kicked that goal from the free kick he won. Oh, I can't remember it. Yeah, he got a free kick at the top of the square, but the ball bounced to the boy, advantage, goal. Oh, and Hogan was pissed off about it, was he? Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> get over it, son. Correct. Um, all right. Uh, Darren Prashino says, thoughts on the non-committal Tasmania announcement today and lamentable two of three proposed options. Oh, just quickly, look, I haven't read the report. Uh, I've only briefly sort of flicked through a summary of, of what it came out with. But it, overall, it just seemed to me to be, someone used the expression, might have been Peter uh, uh, Gutwin, is it Gutwin, Gutwin, the Premier, um, kicking the can down the road. It's, it's sort of, yeah, yeah. I mean, you come up with three different options and I don't think any of those options was a Tasmanian team in its own right, was it? It was a relocation. It was pathetic. A joint venture, whatever. Yeah. What what is yeah, a joint venture? I don't know what venture? that is. Well, what yeah. is a joint venture? What do they actually mean by that? I don't know. It was hopeless. It was absolutely ho- how much do you pay for such a report? Yeah. And I mean it was Colin Carter who's who's done a lot of those sorts of jobs for the AFL previously. But it's like it's sort of read like the commission or Gil McLaughlin had said to him, We've got to be seen to be working on this. So go away and do a report and then throw a few options on the table. And then Gil, you know, making the announcement, basically in the same breath, sort of pushed it on the back burner again by saying, you know, and look, it's not an invalid point. Um, we're hemorrhaging too much money at the moment. The game's lost $700 million during the pandemic and it's losing about $6 million a week. So fair enough. But then why go to the trouble of commissioning a report? Why not put a definite time frame on it. And and why on earth wouldn't you have as a valid option them creating their own team in the same breath committing to Gold Coast? So, I mean, they're quite happy to go and create new teams in sort of non-traditional football areas and say, point blank, these things will be given all the support they need. Why are they so less 
prepared to do that with the Tasmanian team. I don't understand it. Well, people who believe that there was never any genuine desire or or will to create a Tasmanian team are already suggesting that, of course, they commissioned this report during the COVID epidemic. What an easy cop-out it is to say that the game just can't afford it and we'll think about it, you know, never. Why would you do this during COVID when obviously the finances are being stretched? Very unfair. Well, I would have, you know, delayed the release of the report or kept going on the report. But, you know, like, yeah, so given the wishy-washy sort of conclusions of the report, why bother even releasing it now? Yeah, correct. All it's it's done is get Tasmania's back up to the point where the Premier is now saying, you know, unless we see something that actually means something or gives us a goal, we'll pull funding for both Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Correct. And it's another kick in the guts for footy in Tasmania and youngsters there will be hardly, you know, putting their hand up to play football in the hope of representing, you know, the team in the AFL. That that dream has been well and truly stepped on. So very, very disappointed. Peter Andronopoulos says uh, JB gave us another private school reference to after the game, mentioning the school Alex Rance went to. I tell you what, can I say, look, I, I get on all right with JB, James Brayshaw, uh, you know, he's an affable guy, but if you want to talk about these, you know, sort of guys who live in the bubble, I think his bubble is bigger than just about anyone else in that football media fraternity he just lives in a world of privilege and money and high level mates who played professional sport or they're you know captains of industry or whatever and then so he would be absolutely oblivious to the fact that by constantly crapping on about which elite school this player or that player went to he's pissing a lot of people off and disenfranchising the school the educational backgrounds of a whole lot of other guys playing league footy. He'd be completely oblivious to it. And, you know, I'm not, this isn't in reference to the private school stuff, but when people talk about Eddie Maguire, and we were talking before we started tonight about Eddie's latest effort on footy classified the other night, Eddie is a classic example of this. He has lived with so much privilege and entitlement for the last 30 years in his professional and personal existence that he is absolutely unaware his inability to read the room and gauge the mood of the general public is non-existent because he has no contact with the general public. Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I don't know if I agree. Okay. Entirely. I do know that, I, look, I, I certainly So Eddie's a real down-to-earth, grassroots kind of guy now, is he? Well, Rowan, you can't... You can't strive to succeed and and I'm not going to criticise somebody for being successful in their life and then assume that they only um, associate with like people. You know, his brother, isn't his brother uh, uh, still a, a politician? With... Yeah, he's a state, he's an MLA. He's yeah. a state MP. Yeah. Um, and? and? No, I'm saying, but but he he's very closely connected with his family. I know his sis his sister actually taught my daughter 
um, a, a highly respected educator. I'm sure he's very close with his family, and that would ground him. I mean, they wouldn't let him just, you know. Well, they are fighting. Sorry, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not getting angry at you, but they are, mate, because he just keeps failing to read the room. And he did it again on Footy Classified. I'm saying, but that's on TV. I, I'm just saying... In, that's, in where, that's where 90% of the pub people see him. I mean, that's how, that's how you feel about him. It's, he also plays the, the... I mean, I don't buy it either. You know, the old CBC card and, and you know, the Broadie card and this and that every now and then. And... But, the, OK, yeah, look, I mean, let's not zero in on Eddie. This is... Look, I've... Um, I've to clear my hand here, I've ended up this week talking to several former Indigenous AFL players about how pissed off they are. They are livid, and we talked about this on the podcast. But one of the big issues we've got here with AFL football confronting the racist issue is that so many of the people who are involved in covering the sport and thus almost setting the agenda for the discussions about it live in this world of entitlement. They don't speak to Indigenous people. They don't deal with them. And the Eddie's thing the other night, where they showed the Taylor Walker's apology. Eddie came back and he ran a commentary on the apology. Well, you know, that's, that's good enough for me. You know, that's ticked the boxes. And, and this whole narrative for the last week has all been about Taylor Walker and completely and utterly ignored the issue which has emerged from it, which is the continuing scourge of racism. No one's talked about that. It's all been framed as Taylor yeah, Walker. Yeah, that's, I understand that. And right, Eddie Betts. It's a much bigger problem. I, no, I understand that, but I, I, I feel that you are focused on an aspect of racism in this country that is very real and very disturbing, and that is the um, deep-seated racism that exists in. Um, the wealthy and the and and those who have um, come from private school backgrounds and that boys club and that 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 whole um, you know private club we're better than you superiority and you quite rightly and, and do recognise that. So what? But, e- but equally, equally from the other side of the street, there is a a deep-seated racism in in uneducated, um, uh, you know, not even I'm not talking about their schooling, but but the antithesis of the people that you rail against, in a social sense, also through lack of education and you know harbour racist sentiment as well, and 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 yeah and that, yeah yeah okay I get it it's more overt. But this is exactly my point, Finey, that the people I'm talking about are in a position to set the agenda and the discussion and thus help shape the values of the people you're talking about. And we're not getting that. We're just yeah, getting no, this sort of... That's, we're that's we're why getting I, that's this, why I say you're right to rail against it. Yeah, it's we're good... getting this white-bred, you know, privileged view of the world. And, uh, you know, it's... it's Channel 7, the the boys' club, the Channel 7, all white, you know, or they've now finally got Daisy Pearce and Abby Holmes, and now we're starting to see more Indigenous people pop up in the media. I mean, Tony Armstrong, I think, is a really accomplished media commentator. We're seeing Chris Johnson now. But it always smacks of 
tokenism. You know, it's like they don't really, they think, oh, you know, let's let's grab a Sheila or, or let's put in a, a coloured guy and we'll, um, you know, we'll get people off our back. There's no genuine commitment to it. I don't think they have a genuine bone in the bodies, the, the people that make the programming decisions in mainstream media now. I think the mainstream media in this country is irretrievably rooted. All right, let's get on with it. Otherwise, I'm going to, this is going to turn into a political sermon. All right, I'm going to ask you, say to you, you know, there, a lot of people are talking about uh, the way the teams matched up this round. Yeah. Um, that there was an interesting trivia, a trivial, a trivia fact about the matchups in this round. Uh, it was something about the top eight all playing the bottom eight or nine playing the bottom nine. Yeah, well, that's what people were saying. And I thought to myself, big friggin' deal. Who cares? There was a much better trivial trivia moment in this round. And what was it? And that is that the teams with the two best club songs play each other. Well, they played each other tonight. And the teams with the two worst club songs play each other. Yeah, no, that's a fair call. Uh, of course, that's the Derby. Yeah, big hello to our Western Australian audience. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I agree the Giants and Richmond have the best theme songs and I agree that West Coast and Freo probably have the worst. Uh, all right, let's keep going. David Dennett has weighed in on the Tasmanian issue. He says, have either of you guys read the Carter Report? Well, we just, you might have missed what we said, David. We haven't read it yet. Uh, I will. I'm surprised at how superficial it is. Just as one example, it doesn't ask whether a 19th team might actually lessen the value of TV rights. It does suggest the AFL doesn't think the extra matches will add much because they're of lesser profile. But since a 19th licence means that the bigger drawing clubs will have at least another one or two buys, it arguably could dilute the existing TV rights, surely. One also has to query the rigour of the analysis, given it spends several paragraphs talking about small market teams, largely focused on the Green Bay NFL franchise, which, according to Carter, played in this year's Super Bowl. Green Bay, of course, didn't. He's confused Green Bay with Tampa Bay, and no one picked up the error. I, I bet Craig Hutchison did. Um, no, it's a fair yeah, comment. I tell you, speaking of Craig Hutchison, I turned on SEN last night. I was shocked with what they had on. I enjoyed it when I was in the car, but I was shocked. Because you enjoyed it? No. Okay, what was it? They were covering the England-India test match, ball oh, yeah, by ball. Yeah, yeah. And they had their own commentators there. Yeah, it's a deal. Um, Adam Collins has played a part in this. It's yeah, yeah. I did I did read something about it, yeah. Um, I'm sure it was because they had advertising or sponsors to oh, back it. So, yeah. Oh, mate, we'd be listening. I could turn on and listen to the third annual junior boxing championships from the Isle of Gibraltar if they got sponsors for it. Betfair brings you boxing from Gibraltar. Yeah, well. On SEN. All right, let's keep moving. Uh, Gary Butterfield says, uh, yeah, FA self-awareness for both JB and Ed. Johnson Von Trapp says Maguire has no self-awareness. Uh, ben Healy says panel show after panel show talking about the Walker racism, we're all white. Did nothing to add to the conversation. Cultural diversity desperately needed in footy media. Can I just say there, like I mentioned the package that Fox Footy showed at halftime tonight, that to me is part of the problem as well. 
that they sort of think, you know, we'll, we'll run a couple of grabs of the Indigenous guy saying something meaningful and, and moving and we'll smack the, you know, the sort of tear-jerking music behind it and put a, a tone over the footage. And then when we throw back to you, Gaz, make sure you're looking quite stern at the camera and say, you know, or, or if it was Jared Waitley, you know, um, actually, can you do Jared Waitley here about how he'd back announce a package of racism uh, comments? The world has changed forever. Unfortunately, not for the better. The incident with Taylor, Tex Walker and Robbie Young reminds me of a similar occurrence in 1932 when Presnajo of Serbia found himself counted by a number of voices, we'll call them, in the Croatian parliament. <laughs> Hard to forget those moments. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, very good. Good effort. Um, all right. Uh, Broadus 17 is asking, which ones influence the uneducated? Well, I mean, the media generally Broadus 17. And I'm not, you know, I'm not for a moment saying that should be the case. But you would have to agree that the uh, the agenda on what we talk about, not just in football, but politics and society, tends to be shaped by what the major media outlets are focusing on. And, and that's why they have great power. And that's why part of the reason I'm so critical of News Corp in a political sense is that they, they, they give us what they want the world to appear as rather than as it actually is. And I think the gap between the views that the major media outlets are portraying and what is really happening is growing larger because uh, I think journalists are tending to become uh, from, from, you know, higher socioeconomic backgrounds and private school privilege sort of educations and they tend to be very middle class and they tend to all sort of live in Melbourne in the, you know, eastern suburbs and they really don't get much of it. Yeah, and you could see it reflected in the sorts of stories they do, like, you know, we send a reporter out into the wilds of the western suburbs to find out what's happening on the street, you know, like it's some expedition to, you know, the African jungle. Um, you know, we're, we're just, we're out at we, the media, and, you know, like I'm on the fringes of it now, but very out of touch, I think, with modern society. And it's reflected, certainly on TV, it's reflected in the lack of uh, different racial groups and their representation, not just in news, but in TV shows. And, uh, and it's a real problem. It's a real problem. I, th I think you're a bit behind the game in how society is influenced, though, now, because I've got to say that my kids, their generation... First of all, they don't watch TV. TV is dead to them. I just can't get them to watch TV. They don't watch TV at all. They're on YouTube and Instagram, whatever. But they see, they are, that's where the hope is. Kids through all, from private schools, public schools, whatever, they are far less um, concerned with the colour of people's skin than, than when we were growing up I agree than our generation was I, I and, and very accepting of, of gender 
choicing and sexual orientation very different to, to my times. So the hope is there. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Just quickly, Gwen has just weighed in to say two white guys talking racism. Well, I don't know if you just jumped on, Gwen, but that was exactly the problem that I was bringing up. We are, both, we are both white. I hope you're not suggesting that we should not talk about it because we're talking about it, alerting people to the fact that there is a problem of having these discussions of white guys talking racism. So what is your alternative for us? Not to discuss it at all and thus just perpetuate that problem? Yeah, oh, it's we're all trying... right. Is it Glenn? Yeah. It's all right, mate. I'm Jewish and anti-Semitism is alive and well. Believe me. Uh, all right, uh, Gary. No Butterf- comment on that? Anti-Semitism. Well, oh, it's alive but... and well. It is. No, it no, is. I know it is. I know it I'm is. saying, so, yeah. Um, Gary Butterfield says Channel 7 should be embarrassed with their tokenism. Uh, Scott Howe says Gilbert McAdam should be special comments every week. Cato says uh, root of problem. I recently signed a petition for Indigenous history to be taught in primary schools. Yes, 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 yes. That is a big thing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, think back to our education. What do we know about Indigenous culture? Oh, it's pretty poor, mate. Red Wall, we, we had to read Walkabout and, you know, we saw some movies and it was, that was tokenism, I'll tell so you So if we were, yeah, and if we were serious about it as a country, we would be doing things like that. And no, and we don't. We, no government sort of tackles this issue either sensitively or full on. They don't. They have no interest in it. Then again, yeah, no, maybe I better not go there. I would argue at the moment we have a government that doesn't tackle any issue with any yeah, let, let's get off the politics. All right. Uh, Brodders, that was me agreeing with you, Rowan. I was asking the question of Finey right before he said it. Okay, fair enough, Brodders. I wasn't, uh, I don't think I was being critical of you. Um, Scott Howe likes your um, historical analogy there, Finey. Oh, I think it was Jared <laughs> Waitley. Jared Waitley. Um, Liam Evans says the boys club doesn't want to move forward. We've got to demand more and better. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, does that in itself sort of initiate change? I think I look, you know what the grassroots campaigns and you're sort of talking funny about the, you're right. The younger generations now are getting their information from different sources to what we did, which has sort of made the influence of the mass media a bit less um, all-encompassing than it was, but... Um, they wouldn't watch Sky News for five minutes. No, no. Well, what I was going to say here was the more effective sort of people campaigns uh, that have happened in recent years have been, there's a group called Sleeping Giants. You know, it's like targeting the advertisers on Sky News and, um, you know, pointing out your objections to them. It's only, These people like Sky News, for example... They only start feeling the heat when they start losing advertisers. Um, so that's sort of what you have to do. I think people sort of protesting directly to the networks responsible has zero effect. They only give us stuff about their advertising revenue. Uh, let's get back on footy. Simon Morris says, how amazing that in Joel Selwood's 330 games, he's only played in one meaningless game, round 24, 2015. By meaningless, I presume you mean a game in which his side could not play in finals. That's amazing. What a great fact that is. 
Well, his first season was 2007. And yeah, great. That's Geelong, a beauty. Geelong has missed finals once in, yep. uh, what, 14 seasons. Pretty fair. Great, 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 great notification, that. Uh, Harper Pestinger, a good friend of the program, says even in lefty, quote-unquote, inner-city high schools these days, no Indigenous history gets taught. Um, that's disappointing. Um, while Panda says, my daughter is seven, lives in Kensington, and her school uh, taught her welcome to country. guess that's a start. Um, we see welcome to country performed at a lot of functions and stuff now, but every time you see it, done you'll see someone sort of rolling their eyes about it you know like we we need to I think sort of shed our cynicism about it I really look up to New Zealand on this score because you know my observation when I was there and and what I know of it you know they seem white people in New Zealand seem to have really um, embraced or you know sort of learned to um you know, really sort of, I'm losing the words, but celebrate uh, yeah, Maori but that's a, culture. Yeah, but that's because it's, that's a historical fact, Rowan, that they invaded New Zealand and got defeated. They couldn't defeat the Maoris. They had to sign a treaty with them. So yeah. the Maoris never were second-class citizens. In fact, the English always were there at the generous, uh, generous, sort of um, tolerate, they were tolerated generously by, by the, the people that inhabited New Zealand prior to them, the Maoris, who themselves only arrived there historically not that long before the English. Um, look, we've got to face a very uncomfortable fact here in Australia, Rowan, and that is that we can look down our nose at South Africa and apartheid. We can look down our nose at... America's racial disharmony with white America and black America and Hispanic America. And the only reason we do that is because we came here all guns blazing and massacred the inhabitants. You know, I mean, it's the indigenous Australians that remain are survivors of, of a massacre that happened when the English arrived here. And we and we enslaved them. And I'm sorry, we, otherwise, you know, that, that that's Yeah, hang on, let me finish here. So yeah. we not only enslaved them, we uh, you know, as recently as 60, 50, 60 years ago, removed children from their parents. And yet you have one of Australia's most widely read columnists who refuses to concede that that ever happened. And in fact writes constantly that it didn't. Yeah, but he also refuses to believe that global warming exists because, because every scientist and every... From, from any person that's done any analysis of the North and South Pole to the fact that yesterday was the hottest recorded day in European history. Did you hear that? Yeah. They got to 48.8 somewhere. Yeah, well, up uh, in... To Northern, 48 in Canada? Yeah, Northern Canada's had some massive um, issues there. Anyway, uh, whatever. Joe Hess says, I want to read this one from Joe. Yeah. He says, as a primary educator in the system at the moment, we are starting to incorporate a lot more of Indigenous history and culture into the current curriculum. It is happening. Totally agree with Finey. This generation is much more accepting and understanding. 
Yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to say Wesley have always, since we've been there, had a great understanding of Indigenous Australia because they've got a, a, a program in um, Western Australia, a student transfer where kids go there and um, and that's tribal. That that's that's a genuine tribal setting. Yeah. Um, I can you know we've been involved with the school for twenty five years now, and always had always opened any school official school <laughs> meeting with recognition of you know the indigenous landowners and and um, and in fact in in, I don't know what the language is, whether it's from Western Australia or whether it's the the language of people here in on the lands, but it's actually said in in native tongue. So, um, Julian again says we should be changing our place names back to what the traditional owners called them. How many bloody King and Queen streets names do we have? Uh, David Dennett says um, few Australians realise that we still had the equivalent of pass laws in two states as recently as the 1970s. I think one of them was Western Australia. How can we be truly proud of this nation when we're too embarrassed to look at our history honestly? Um, okay, we're going to finish with two different ones and then we'll get on to the tipping. Um, Simon Morris says, what nickname and colours would you give a Tassie AFL team? Oh, absolute, absolute certainty. Yeah. Green with a mohair, a mohair map of Tasmania and call them the maps of Tas. Okay. Yep. Good. We did the blue joke. Uh, so we wait. Well, it's um, after midnight. Is it midnight yet? Yeah. Can oh, you no. answer it seriously now? All right. I would, I would call them um, something like, I don't know. Definitely not anything Apple Isle or Devil or whatever. Something. Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with the Devils? Because it's been it's it's cliched. I I, I think we can come up with something better than that. Um, All right. Well, colours: green, gold, and primrose. No. Why not? Because again, it's been that's their old state colours. So give them something. Give them something of themselves. Well, that is themselves. I mean, I, I think you'd take that. That is their history and heritage. You'd take that and you shape it into the the new team. Okay, I mean, so what, what could unite the, the north and the south? Uh, not a lot. I think they're forever destined to be at loggerheads. I'd, I'd like to call them the Tasmanian crayfish, the crays, because they're yeah. famous for their crays. Yeah. That would certainly strike fear into the hearts of opponents. Like the swans. Yeah, well, that's true. The Tassie thylacine, says Leroy. Yeah, well, um, they're extinct. That's not a great start. Greg, Steve, Stephen Smith agrees with me. Green, gold and primrose. Um, all right, enough on that. Last one before we do the tips. You know what colours I'd give them? Black and white stripes. Yeah, no, that that'd go really well. Well, yeah, it could with work. Your mate. Well, it could work because Eddie could finally have a coronary. Uh, <laughs> just, just kidding, Ed. 
All right. Uh, so the other one I was asked there, I've now lost it. Oh, Hayden Murdoch is asking the Clash or Sex Pistols. Definitely the Sex Pistols, Hayden. I've got to, uh, I've got to say, I never really warmed to the Clash. I just, I didn't get them or something. Whereas the Sex Pistols, uh, you know, one album, but killer album. Um, still a killer album. All right. Let's get on to the tips, Finey. What I'll is answer the... that question as well, Rowan. Okay, we'll answer it. Can you answer it, like, briefly? Yeah, unlike you. Um, the Clash, you, you know, London calling, yes, and then Rock the Casbah. Are you serious? That wasn't what? the Clash. Oh, yes, Rock it was. Sorry, sorry, yes, it was. It... No, I thought I was thinking it was Big Audio Dynamite. It was, no, the, it was Clash. the Clash. Yeah. And it really was commercial junk. And they lost me quickly. Yeah, but okay. London Calling. Yeah, London Calling's a good song. But, I, you know, I've tried to listen to them. I find there's a lot of sort of, I don't know, reggae influence in their stuff. No, they went, they went bad very quickly. Um, all right. So what is our tipping device this week? And all right. So for the team that you're tipping, yeah. you have to give me the initials of a known villain, tribunal, regular, or boo boy. You know, a bad, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a, a bad, bad to the bone type from that club. Okay. But you said. So he could be to the tribunal. He could be known as a bit of a hitman. He could just be a boo boy, you know. Boo boy being uh, some, a whipping boy. Oh, no. What the other supporters used to oh, boo. Not, uh, all right. You know. Okay. Okay. All right, okay, let's do it. Um, so, first game tomorrow at uh, in Launceston, one forty-five pm. It is Hawthorne taking on the Western Bulldogs. All right, uh, I'm going to go. Um, so, people, were you able to put a, something up to that effect, Damon? Saying what? Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, I'm going DS. D Danny Southern. Correct. I'm going J-E. Jim uh, Edmund. Yep. Okay. All right. There's number one. And uh, send through your selections, people. Uh, Danny Southern says Dion Stennard. Stephen Crediox says Robert Rice. No, he was a ripper, Critters. How about Hawthorne? You'd be going for a week. L-M, uh, L-M, L-M. Well, you could go R-D. Oh, yeah, there's plenty. Believe me. How about uh, DD? Uh, delicate or, Des Dixon. That's or Triple D. Delicate yeah, Triple D. Um, yeah, you could. You could. Uh, all right, next we have uh, Geelong taking on St Kilda, 4.35pm at GMHBA Stadium. Peter Phoebe says TL, by the way, for the doggies. Libba. Yep. While Panda goes, uh, Jose, Jose Romero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cra good. Craig Bradley was suspended twice in his career, both times for hitting Romero. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's great when that happens. Um, all right. Uh, next game, Geelong St Kilda at 4.35 p.m. Yep. Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to go controversially. Uh I'm going to go GA. Yeah, well, he's a thug, Gary Ablett. Yeah. Well, you don't need to tell St Kilda supporters about that. Yeah. Nathan oh, Burke, helmet. Christian Bardsley. Bardsley. 
Burke, was there that day. Well, Burke had to wear a helmet for his career. All right, who are you going with? I'm going to go with RW. Uh, gee, um, Rod Waddell. Yeah. That's a pretty good get for me, isn't it? Yeah, very good. Uh, Robert, Robert Rice. Robert Rice is Cameron Mooney. Julian Evans is Gary Hocking. Fair calls. Yeah. Uh, MJ. Forbes along. Yep. Um, MJ. Um, Mark Jackson. Correct. Uh, How about the list at St Kilda? CD. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll fire a few St Kilda ones at you. CD, Yeah. Have you got them? Yeah, well, other our listeners have sent through. Yeah, Ben Miller I mean, I, says, I, know the, I know the worst one. JR. They yeah, tell us. Well, that's the Jim Reed. That's the guy that Barry Davis tells the story that when they went, he came, you know, Jim Reed smashed him in the head. And, and he was out for 12 weeks and Reed got 12 weeks and both of their first games back were against each other. But when he hit him, like he knocked his eyeball out of its socket or whatever. Anyhow, they laid him in the rooms and they were treating him. And he reckoned, this is, you know, Barry tells a good story. Yeah. He said the players came in at half time and walked past him. He said, I won't name them, but three of them vomited in their own hands. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Barry Hall, of course, another one for the yeah, Saints. Yeah, that's right. All right. Also at 4.35 tomorrow, Port Adelaide taking on Carlton at Adelaide Oval. Yeah, pretty. I'll go first. Okay. JC. Uh, Josh Carr. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's like the gimme from that. Yeah, time. I'm struggling here. Um, DB. Oh, hang on. I just sort of one. Um, oh, God, I can picture him. TP. No, DP. Not Daryl Poole. Yeah. One eye, one eye Jack. Yeah, it was pretty rough, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, they had one eye. You have to be careful. Well, he looked tough. Yeah, I went DB as well. Who's that? You know, Roger Ramjet or Dean Brogan. Oh, oh Dean Brogan. Is he tough? Okay. He, he was nasty at an airport once. I'm not wasn't. sure people have got the concept of this one. Josh Franco? Don't no. think so. No. Nick Stevens? Oh, well. Oh, maybe. <laughs> so, so, oh, don't laugh. So, subsequent to playing I think somebody's football. got that spot on. Oh, no, Vaughan's come up with the best ones for Port, I think. Yeah, DH. Dickhead. Yeah, yes, um, very good. DH. Um, uh, better than Josh Carr. Um, yeah, we've lost you. No, I'm back. Uh, DH. Um, not Dan Houston. He's a, he's a sweetheart. We're not um, waiting for you this one because you've already done it. Yeah, but David. Premiership player. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, DH, um, Premiership player. Yes. Damien Hardwick. Correct. Dima, he's yeah. a sweetheart. <laughs> uh, 7.25 Saturday night at the Gabba, Brisbane taking on Collingwood. Uh, RM. 
Roger Merritt. Yep. Um, uh, go. So go. BS. Brad Scott. Yeah. Uh, Dion Stannard, Martin Pike. We got Fabian Francis. Pikey. Uh, Fabian Francis wasn't. No, he wasn't. Right, wasn't. wasn't. No. Um, Collingwood suggestions. We have Dennis Banks, Stephen Smith. You don't get this game, mate. So Steel side bottom is in no way a tough guy. No, no yeah. Collingwood's Collingwood's got any of the Shaws, RS, TS, DT. Uh, De- oh, yeah, he was ferocious, Des Tudnam. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Tom Wilson says, Roko, I love how in the first final, Siren Fine insisted on playing this game. You hated it. I don't hate the game, Tom. I just hate it when it goes on for bloody half an hour. Well, hang um, on. Who's the classic Collingwood one? Sorry, hang on. Wait, Fine. Gary yeah. Butterfield wants to know which game you're going to have your 10-minute pause, thinking pause in so he can go to the toilet. Well, I wouldn't hang on, mate. I'd, I'd, I'd you know, take your chances. Hope you've got good bowels. Um, I think I've got it now because I can't remember the guy's name and I've interviewed him. The guy that knocked out Somerville. Um, Duncan Wright. Yeah, Duncan Wright, DW. Yeah, Dominic Mazza came up with that one. Yeah. Interesting uh, story, Matt. Yeah, let's not tell it now. Scott Howe says, Why sorry. not? It's a theory. Because, no, nah, because we're wrapping it up. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I know uh, the true story. Yeah, I know. I know you do. He told me the truth. Yeah, not hearing it. Uh, Craig Kelly. Uh, Pinchy right. Punchy. 7.40pm, um, North Melbourne taking on Sydney. Oh, I've got a good one. Um, SG. SG. Stuart yeah. Gull. Yeah. All right. I've got a, a good one. Um, I've got to remember his first name. Um, oh, Robert Rice has got a ripper. So it's, it's a second initial B. Yep. Yeah, because I can't remember his first name. Boyd. Yep. Because um, that's a great story as well. Um, Harper's got a good one. SM. Forget the story. Just give us the name. Well, Boyd is his surname. He was the ruckman that knocked out Nichols. Yeah, I know. Um, What's his first name? I'm trying to remember. Um, uh, think about dolls. Goals. Dolls. Kick, goals, you said? Dolls. 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 Yes. Oh, dolls. Um, yes. Um, Barbie. That's it. Barbie Boyd. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> what was his name? Barry. Not Barry Boyd. Oh, was... my God. You don't get it. You just said Barbie. Who's Barbie hanging around with? Oh, Ken Boyd. So... So I, I was mates with Freddie Goldsmith. He used to work at the Bush Inn and I did pub trivia there and I used to get on great. Anyhow, Fred told me about Ken Boyd. He hated him because they both, when he finished, both of them went up and played up at Albury around there. And he said, Ken Boyd lined up this kid in the ruck one day, but he was only a skinny little 19-year-old. And they had to take him to Melbourne to get his kidney removed. I mean, you know, but Ken Boyd did himself in in the social club. You know that. What do you mean did himself in? Well, he knocked Nichols out, but nobody saw it. And you know how the teams used to have a drink in the social club afterwards? Yeah. Anyhow, people were speculating what happened. 
and being boastful, whatever, he just, you know, after a couple of beers, said, oh, fucking hell, I knocked the bastard out. And he was the first guy to be suspended, not from an umpire's report, but from a subsequent report issued after the match. Oh, really? The umpires were there and heard him boasting about it. Didn't know that. Okay. So who would you go with as your selection for this game? Oh, Ken Boyd. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. No, for Sydney. Yeah. Oh, no. L.M. Or AF. AF would be the the, the one. AF. No, it's going to be some guy from the 40s or something. No way. He was from the 1920s and 1910s, the most notorious footballer pre-World War II, Albert Franks. Okay, that's good. But the it reveals a fundamental flaw in this game, which is if you yep. go with Albert Franks from the nineteen twenties, clearly I'm not going to guess that. So Why not? You know footy. Not the nineteen twenties, I don't. So they had two players: Albert Franks, who was ferocious, and Len Mortimer, who had a great nickname for a dangerous footballer, Mother, because it was like the last thing. The Mother, <laughs> Len Mother Mortimer. Oh God, they were fearsome, mate. All right, let's go. Uh, Melbourne, Adelaide, Sunday, 3, 2.10 p.m. at the MCG. Uh, yeah, I'm going with... Uh, Not easy to find a dirty Melbourne player. Oh, I just thought of one before. RG. Rod Grinter. Correct. Good bloke, too. Um, I'll go for... Um, well, I'm not going to go for Carl. Um, I'll go for uh, PK. Peter Keenan. Yeah, he got rubbed out a few times, didn't he? He did. He did. Uh, as a very uh, violent sort of uh, Melbourne, South Melbourne game at the MCG in 1981, which he, David, um, David Rhys-Jones played. No, no yeah. stories. No, I've got to stop. Mate, first of all, Peter Keenan's son, you know, he was in the Olympics. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a rower. Ah, okay. And a guy I know played one of his two VFL, AFL games that day for Melbourne. And who's and that? guess who he played on? Uh, David Rees-Jones. David Trevor uh, Corn. Oh, okay, yeah, I have heard that. No. Yeah, imagine playing on, Trevor, on David Rees-Jones that day. Crikey. All right, 3.20pm at the unlikely venue of GMHBA Stadium. Yep. Uh, Gold Coast taking on Essendon. Uh, R8. Ronnie Andrews. Yep. IS. Uh, Ian Shelton. Yep. Good Thunk. call. Uh, last game of the round, 5.10pm, the Derby. Not allowed to call it Derby or people in Perth get very annoyed. Uh, Dean Wallace says Dion Stedman, Robert Rice gone, Phil Carmen. Mm. Um the Derby is at 5.10pm Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you know, okay. I should have gone for Essendon, JM. That would have thrown the cat amongst the pigeons. Jack Marchett. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go... Yeah, this case having a lot of tough guys. I'm going to go PR. PR. Oh, no, I can sense this. This is our 10-minute one. P uh, um, Philip Reed. Phil oh. Reed. Well, he you know, ah. played like a tough guy. No, uh, you do a proper one. 
No, that's that was my call. I'm not paying it. Like steel sideboard. Oh, Come on, they had a pretty famous one. I think of Richard Osborne. Against West Coast. You can't remember what happened. <laughs> I remember Richard Osborne almost died at the SCG. Yeah. I remember he did his knee against Collingwood. Yeah. Um, what other? Can't remember him getting fixed up by a West Coast player for Fitzroy or no. when he was playing for Fitzroy. I don't think so. It was towards the end of his career. I can't remember. Uh, all right. Oh, um, premiership coach. Yeah, JW. Yeah. Okay, that's a better call. Who's your one? Didn't he smash Richard Osby? Not that I remember. Yeah, the MCG. Um, I'm going to go for. Oh yeah, this guy's completely insane. Because I this guy once hit his own teammate, but playing for another team. PW. Uh, um, hit a teammate playing for another team. Yeah, but he smashed a teammate. Uh, oh, Peter Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I watched a highlights package of the 94 grand final the other night. Peter Wilson played pretty well in that game. I think he he looked like a three. mini Mark Jackson, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Had the put chisel chin thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Miles cleaned up Osborne, says Robert Rice. So who, who did Worsfold smash at the uh, MCT? Worsfold got Dermy at Subiaco. I'm going to look that up straight after the show. Okay. Um, Jeff Miles didn't get Osborne. Gary Butterfield has a superficially bizarre choice, but has some reason to it. AG. In which game? The last game. Andrew Gaff. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that is good. And the, cla- and the classic would be DK because he played for both teams. Dale Kickett. And he certainly made a, a feast of one derby. Yeah, and you know who he fixed up in that derby? Whom? Phil Reid. <laughs> Phil Reid, uh, <laughs> uh, full circle. Yeah, Phil Reid got absolutely smashed in that demolition derby. All right, that is it, everyone. Um, thanks for uh, tuning in. Good show tonight. Uh, good win to the Giants too. Uh, we'll be back in podcast form Sunday evening to wrap up round 22. And we'll be back in this form next Friday night, of course, and we don't know what the game is going to be, although I did actually hear a suspicion or a suggestion it would be as he flicked desperate. I think it's going to be Western Bulldogs and Port Adelaide, so two top four teams. That could be a really interesting clash. Yeah, Um, good. uh, Become a footyology patron if you haven't yet. Come on, I'm going to guilt you into it before the end of this season. Put your money where your mouth is. It's just $7 a month and you really do help us pay the wage bills and feed our kids. So um, uh, thanks, Tom. I've got some nice thank yous coming in. So thanks, everyone. We appreciate your support. Um, And we'll be back with the podcast Sunday evening. Good luck to all your teams this weekend, unless you're a Richmond fan, of course, when it's already done and dusted. But to everyone else, uh, good luck. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Here, here. See ya.